Hi everybody. I'm here with Rachel. Rachel, big, big question, big issue, big turning point in your <laughs> life. Why don't you read what you, or the, the relevant part of what you sent me? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm 28 years old. My husband and I got married when I was 21. I've been a homemaker the past just about four years. Um, and my husband and I both really enjoy and appreciate a more traditional approach to our marriage relationship as well as general outlook on life, um, except for one vital area, which is on my behalf, uh, that I can't seem to bring myself to want children. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so when you say homemaker for four years, what does that mean? Um, it means I haven't been working outside of the home. I've just been at home and we've taken the, I guess, traditional approach of my husband going to work and he's building a business and then I'm at home and do kind of all of the things in the well, home. Well, the, so. the truly traditional <laughs> part does involve children, doesn't it? True. Yes, okay. exactly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, is, is there enough to do? Is your husband a massive slob? Does he regularly bring home jaguars <laughs> and biker gangs that you need to like respackle <laughs> the walls? Or is he touring with Aerosmith? I mean, what, what is, is, is there enough to do without kids? Um, I find it, I think, because, I mean, I, since I don't have kids right now, I think we kind of grow comfortable in whatever life entails at that moment. So for where I'm at, I find that there's enough because I do all of the home things and uh, do like a bit of volunteering outside the home and things like that too. But The volunteering uh, stuff is great. And it's one of the things that women being in the workforce has kind of stripped the whole community of the cohesion that comes from women's admirable and deep commitment to communities. So um, I, I think that's wonderful. Um, did you ever want kids? Do you know? Uh, I did. Um, <laughs> when we when we got married, we got married under the premise that we would start a family together. Um, and then probably about a year or two years into our marriage is when I really just started questioning things. And I guess the concept of actually looking at what that would entail and look like for our life, I just, I don't know, I guess I got scared at some point and started to really assess, do I really want that? Or is that just something that you kind of, uh, without thinking, grow up being like, oh, this is going to be part of my life regardless. So um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just started overthinking it or something. <laughs> well, I guess one of the questions I have is why is your husband so nice? Because in, <laughs> in the email you said, you know, he's no pressure. No, like he's not, yeah. you know, and I'm like, that's, that's like a, <laughs> that's like a superpower of niceness. That's almost against its own interests. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that's, True, he is very nice. Um, is he scared? <laughs> are you are you giving I, me a very friendly face? But you know, like you're like that <laughs> the, the monster that turns around in the horror movie with like the smiling doll turns into the like the skull. I mean, is he terrified no. of you? Like, what what is going on? I mean, why isn't he? Um, you know, hey man, we're gonna have kids. We gotta sort this out, right? Yeah, no, no. I at least I hope that I'm not that way. No, um, I'm not very scary. Um, yeah, I think just when it came about, this would be years back now that I was really starting to question that. I brought it up in conversation with him that it's something I'm really struggling with, and especially as a woman. And um, 
so I don't know if, if just through that and at the time he was kind of thinking, oh, it's far down the road, so I'll just be supportive now and we'll kind of work through this together as we grow together. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure, but we've been having more and more conversations about it lately. And what if he just knocked you up? Just... I'm sorry, I, that's not very philosophical. I just, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, yeah. oh, did I mean, the condom that's... break after I put it through the cheese grater? Well, I guess we'll live with it now. But all right, all right. Not that that's wise. I'm just, just yeah, something no, that popped well, into fun, my head. Funny enough, that's something I've, I guess, kind of joked with him or with closer friends who know this about us that I almost wish I would just quote unquote accidentally fall pregnant because then I wouldn't have to be the one to make the decision and then I would just be able to say okay this is what's happening and move forward with it but for some reason not actively making the decision I just can't do (laughs) so I don't know. Now let me ask you this are you ambivalent like part of you wants kids and part of you is scared of it or is it more like you know, if somebody said to me, hey, Steph, you've got a great future as a ballet dancer, um, <clears throat> I, I'd have said, uh, my knees are north of half a century, I'm not very flexible, and um, <laughs> it's not really my thing. I wouldn't be torn, if that makes any sense. It would, like, not be tempting at all, right? But if somebody said, hey, you could talk to the world about philosophy, I'm like, what do I sign up? What do I do? What do I have to sacrifice? How many goats <laughs> do I have to put in a blender to make this happen, right? So mm-hmm. are you torn about it, or are you sort of inert about it? Um, I would say there is, yeah, some ambivalence there. Uh, good, good. I, yeah, I really. That's good, because otherwise there's not much of a conversation. <laughs> I don't want kids. Okay. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I, well, I would never say I really overwhelmingly want it still at this point, but when I think about the idea of it and what it would mean for our future and the concept of building a good family and for when we're old and all of those things, I think, yeah, that is quick, quick question. a good thing. Uh, quick question, but, Rachel. Has it ever has it ever occurred in your conversations with people that they perceive you to be a little bit over analytical? Yes. Because <laughs> yeah, you're like because people are like, you know, used to talk about kids, you know, oh, growing life in my belly and breastfeeding and watching their first steps, and you're like, I am very interested in the conceptual definition of growing a good family. <laughs> it's like it's like it, it's not very visceral. If that makes sense, yeah. which is fine. I'm just sort of not, want to know where we're starting from. Yeah, no, absolutely. I have yeah been told and know about myself that I am very over analytical about everything. <laughs> right. Okay. So I think that's where a lot of this, I don't know, well, that comes into it a lot. I think. <laughs> so, your husband is nice, perhaps to a fault, and yes. you yeah. um, <laughs> maybe sometimes get option paralysis, and. Mm-hmm. This is the way the world dies. No pressure, though. Nothing. <laughs> no problem. Okay, yeah. so let, let me ask you this, because you did mention in the email, Rachel, that your childhood had been less than stellar. So what mm-hmm. do you think, if anything, may have happened there that has you sit where you are with regards to kids? Yeah, I mean, it's probably a, quite a few things. But, I mean, I guess I come generationally from poor parenting. I f- think my parents stepped it up a little bit from their parents, but then there is still a lot missing there. Um, They did divorce when I was 15. Um, So there's that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, (laughs) it's kind of hard for me to pinpoint right off the bat one thing to dive into. Um, (laughs) Because you're analyzing (laughs) all the options, aren't you? You You can tell me. You can tell me. (laughs) Um, I mean, both my parents have uh, 
history of depression and anxiety, which I myself and my sister also struggle with. Um, both my parents uh, have alcoholism issues, um, and that was seen through alcoholism our Alcoholism issues, or are they just alcoholics? Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, alcoholics. Um, I mean, my mom quit about a year ago because she was diagnosed with cirrhosis. Um, Whoa, that's, yeah. that's some dedication to the craft. Yeah, like, definitely. Like, holy crap. <laughs> Yeah, and and wouldn't, isn't it horrible that you didn't matter as much as her liver? You know, yeah. like she'll quit for her liver, but mm -hmm. she won't quit for her daughter. Yeah, that's hard. And I think especially for my sister too, my sister still is living at home with her and um, has kind of let me know that after her year of having quit alcohol, she still is sneaking things in her closet, things like that. And it's just, you mean sneaking yeah, tricks? Yeah, yeah, like hiding things in there and uh, getting upset if my sister confronts her with it. So, Do you know yeah. much about when your mother, assuming that it wasn't you and your sister who, quote, drove her to drink, um, do you know mm -hmm. the history of when your mother started drinking? I actually don't at all. I know... Um, and you may like, not get the truth. It's a problem with addicts. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can ask them till you're blue in the face, but whether you trust the answers is another matter, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it started more so when her and my dad split up. Um, I, I'm sure, like, it was at play before that. I think I just wasn't noticing it as much. Um, I noticed it more with my dad when I was younger. But, um, yeah, when they split up, the new boyfriend my mom had for about eight years, they both drank very heavily together, and that's kind of where it was more noticeable. So I'm just getting a bit of a high rubbing sound, if you can try and... Oh, sure. Sorry. Hold as still as you can if, if there's okay. something rubbing. <laughs> now, with your father, was he less of a drinker, more of a drinker, about the same as your mom? Um, I would say when I was younger, it, it seemed that it wasn't all the time, but there would be times that, I don't know, they would go out somewhere and would come home and my dad would come home drunk. Uh, it, I think it also started more when my parents split up now, but my dad is currently with a girlfriend and she is an extremely heavy alcoholic as well, kind of like dawn till dusk drinking. Um, and that has obviously not influenced my dad very well <laughs> either. Um, I mean, is he basically drinking himself to death as your mom is to some degree too, right? Yeah. I mean, he's been in the hospital twice the last uh, two years and it was, I, they were saying asthma related, but also his liver en enzymes were very bad. And the doctors were saying to him that this is a problem you have to get under control. But, um, and he did quit again for about a year as well, but he's fully back on it now. So yeah. So I guess, yeah, I could just say they're both alcoholics. <laughs> Why well, get the laughter thing, but if you could try and get that under Sorry. control that would be excellent too because it's pretty nasty stuff yeah. to hear about as yeah. you know did uh, was there a time in your childhood that you remember them being more available because i mean the one thing that alcoholism does is it just it makes you as the old saying goes emotionally unavailable right do you, do you remember any times or any sort of honeymoon periods where you got a taste of something better or more intimate or more relaxed or more trusting um no not really uh I'm they so sorry. definitely, 
Yeah, they definitely weren't. Neither of them were emotionally available at all through our whole childhood. So. And do you remember a time where you really, maybe the first time that you could remember that you really became aware of that? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. I think it, my kind of growth and understanding of this has really been over time. Um, I'm trying to think. I I went away to school abroad when I was 19, and um, it was Bible school. So I uh, I feel like it was a time of a lot of exploration for me of just looking at my childhood. So I think then. Um, Wait, so 19. So during your childhood, was it, I mean, there weren't families around that had a better structure or environment. Uh, if you were in the church, were there other families around where there wasn't as much drinking? I mean, there must, it must have been something that struck you before 19. Yeah, actually. Um, so I didn't grow up, like my family doesn't go to church. Um, I started going just on my own with friends through high school <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I guess my friends, some of my friends also had some pretty rough family situations, but there was, a, there was a boyfriend I dated all through high school who his family was in the church and they didn't have those type of issues. So I suppose then if I think back, I would have noticed that something was obviously off with my family and how they operated. And when you but think, very yeah. sorry, can you just give me your earliest conscious memory? My earliest conscious memory, like as a well, so I mean, I'm sorry, that's that's a that's an awkward way to phrase it. I apologize for that. Yeah, (laughs) let me. So you know, so there are stories that we all have that are hard to distinguish from memories. Mm -hmm. You know, like the stories of your early childhood. Like I was, I was apparently incomprehensible to all but one relative for the first year that I learned how to speak. Like I'd say ah, ah," and they would say, "Oh, that's an egg, right?" I mean, so I needed a translator. Now, I have vague memories of that, but I don't know for sure if that's just because I heard the story so many times and it just kind of, but, but there are other things that I just, I know for sure. Like I, mm-hmm. I know for sure uh, that, that are real. Uh, so that's what I mean. Sort of the, the first memory that you, you know didn't come from retelling or, or something like that, but your first memory as, as a kid. Hmm, that's hard. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, what, things popping into my mind are ones that I think I was told. Um, so, yeah, trying to think of the first one that I... Because that's usually the foundation of the identity, right? The foundation yeah. of the identity is the first thing we remember that isn't secondhand, but firsthand was like our genuine experience. Yeah. Um, I. Huh. It's tough for me because... Uh, this is something both my sister and I have talked about actually that we feel our memories of childhood are very poor. Like when we actually try to look back at things, it's kind of all a blur a little bit. Um, well, that's a defense, right? I mean, because yeah, childhood was yeah. so painful that to not remember it is a plus, right? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's one coming to mind right now that I, I don't think is probably my first one if I spent some more time thinking about it because I would have been around, I don't know, eight or ten. But I remember um, my parents had went out for an evening. I don't know what it was for. but um, So we were left with a babysitter. And then uh, 
went to bed and then I had heard my parents coming in the door. So I went down our steps kind of thing just to peek around the corner because we had kind of those, they weren't curved steps, but there was a landing. So I could see around the corner, but they couldn't really see me coming in the door. Um, and I just remember like my dad fell in the door because he was so inebriated mm. and my mom was kind of trying to like drag him inside, but that's all I really remember of that moment. And again, I don't know if that's my very first conscious memory. That's just something that's but jumping it's, into it's my... a striking one, right? Because that's terrifying. Yeah. Did your parents drive yeah. drunk with you guys in the car? Um, I don't know, actually. I think generally when they went out like that, they would take a cab, but I can't recall if they ever drove drunk when we were in the car. I would assume possibly because um, we would go to my grandma's house across the city and they would all be drinking and then we'd get home in the same car. So I, I so doubt yeah, that they, they there was the did, designated right? driver situation. So yeah, I guess they would have. Right. And what would you say is the status of your relationship with your parents at the moment? Um, I wouldn't say good. Um, with my dad, for example, we don't talk much. We'll text kind of once in a while, but in the last couple of years, I've maybe seen him in person twice, even though he lives 10 minutes from me. 10 minutes. Um, and how often do you guys yeah. text? Um, I mean, last week we texted a couple of times, but aside from that, there could potentially be months that go without talking. And your mom? Um, my mom's definitely more, and it's been... Uh, since at least I know I said earlier, my sister has caught her drinking again, but from when she had stopped, you could really see a huge shift in who she was. And even she just looked healthier, everything, and she became a more pleasant person to be around. <laughs> Fancy that. Well, as long um, as you don't bring so, up the past, right? Yeah. Yeah, true. Which I haven't. So, <laughs> um, yeah, with her again, she I would say she usually reaches out to me and then well, yeah, text or call once a month, maybe. Um, yeah, and she also, yeah, all our, my parents and in-laws all live quite close to us. So, yeah, it's definitely not close. Right. So you've mm -hmm. listened to this show for a while, right? Yeah, I have. So I can be blunt? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and you know all the caveats. This is just my theories. I don't know for certain, but I'm going to be blunt with you anyway. Fine. Yeah. So the reason why kids are coming up as an idea now is that you don't want to have kids around your parents and you're waiting for them to die. Mm. And the reason it's coming up now is that their health is compromised and they're still drinking, right? Mm -hmm. So they may not be long for this world. There's a huge thing that happens in society when parenting standards change, Rachel, and, and you and I are just part of this whole big movement of trying to rescue the next generation from the errors of the past, of, of past generations. So what happens is we have huge conflicts with our parents, whether it's explicit or implicit, whether it's railing against them in the teen storm years or it's just seething against them in our own minds and perhaps being compliant and on the outside. It's a huge conflict when we are mistreated by our parents, abuse, neglect, uh, lack of trust, and it's a terrible thing that happened to you and your sister during your childhood, and I'm, I'm incredibly sorry for all of that. It's, it's, for people who haven't been around addicts, it's terrifying 
how little reality is allowed to seep into the house, how you have to shut up and cover up and sometimes lie for and never expect the truth from and never be able to trust and never have any reliability. I mean, it is a wretched, monstrous, distorted, otherworldly experience. Uh, You know, I don't know who wrote Stranger Things or if you've even watched it, but this upside down, that's just the world of addiction. It's just the world of, of like neuroses and psychoses and, and addiction where everything is backwards. It's full of monstrous, but it keeps pushing into your life and taking your children, right? So, so with all of that being said, if you say, like you listen to this show, right? So you hear, and, and you said in your email that you like reading about being a better parent and all of that. So when you were a child, you had a conflict with your parents and as an adult, you have sort of neutrality, right? You, you don't have much to do with your dad and you don't tell the truth to your mom. You don't ask her the important questions, right? You don't even know when she started drinking. You can't bring up the past because it will be too explosive, I assume, for her. And so you kind of self-erase around your parents because you have a lot of conflicts with them. You directly erase in terms of not interacting with your dad and you self-erase when you're around your mom. And so when we decide that we want to do things better than our parents, that puts us existentially, it puts us on a direct collision course with our parents again. I'm going to raise my children peacefully. I'm not going to be a drinker. I'm not going to hit. I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to abuse. I'm not going to neglect. I'm not going to any of those things, right? That would be your approach, I assume, as a listener to this show and and as somebody who's interested in infinitely better parenting than you received. So that, to to have children, when you come from an abusive history or a neglectful history, which is just two sides of the same coin, to be a better parent puts you in direct conflict with your parents. And you can't hide it. You can hide your conflict now with them, right? Well, you you just self-erase, right? You just don't bring things up. You just get along. You go along. You you pretend like the past didn't happen. You are vaguely supportive and positive and friendly. But there's nothing. There's no there there. There's no relationship there because you're not there as a real person Mm -hmm. with a history and concerns and so on. So you can kind of tread water in this lukewarm goo of non-contact at the moment. But if you have kids, Rachel, they're going to come over. Your parents, right? Separately, maybe even, God help everyone, together, right? And then Mm -hmm. they're going to see you parent. And then they're going to try and pull some of their parenting shit, right? Mm -hmm. And what's going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> what's going to happen? Um, I guess, like, they'll, they'll be confronted with, um, sorry, <laughs> I'm overanalyzing, trying to word it. <laughs> no, you see, you just saw the race there. You said they'll be confronted by, like, the third person. A ghost yeah. is going to emerge from the wall and it's going to confront them. No, that would be your job, right? Right. Because your yeah. parents would come over to see the kids and they'd bring a six-pack and you'd say, nope. Mm-hmm. No drinking around the kids. Sorry. Not going to happen. Because I don't want my kids to see you the way that I saw you when I was a kid, which is half-baked, right? Mm-hmm. Or if they come over and they've got alcohol on their breath. Or they, you know the signs, if they appear drunk or whatever, right? Yeah. You're like, nope. Turn right around, get into the Uber, go home, come back some other day when you haven't been drinking, right? 
Or mm. if they're over and your mother goes, oh, I need to go to the washroom and she's up there, she gets something from her purse, she puts the flask in, has a couple of shots, comes back down, right? You can self-erase yourself, but you, you know, if you want to be a good parent, you can't let that shit be going on around your kids, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. your kids will know that something's wrong, something's awry. And when you are the parent, you need to be the alpha with your children, right? It yeah. doesn't mean bullying, it doesn't mean dominating, it just means that they need to see that you don't back down, that you are strong. They need that security because your parents were weak because addiction makes you weak. Addiction is weakness in many ways, right? It's right. running yeah. to the bottle rather than dealing with the past. So your kids need to see you as an authority, which means they cannot see you self-erase around other people. Because if they see you self-erase around other people, they lose respect for you like that. Mm -hmm. So you have to stand up both for what's right and what's good and for yourself, but also because of your kids. So this conflict, this anger, this disappointment, this betrayal, potentially this rage, I believe. I mean, I think there's damn good reason for it, Rachel. This has been held in neutral by self-erasure on your part. But if you bring kids into this world and they see you self-erase in front of your parents, then they will respect and fear your parents and they will lose respect for you. And you then get erased by your parents once more in the eyes of your children. And you want to avoid all of this. But now that they're getting infirm and the multi-decade addictions are taking their potentially lethal toll, you're like, ah, oh, maybe... Maybe we can bang at the funeral and <laughs> knock one out then, you know, like <laughs> there is a sort of transition. If, if my parents aren't around, then I can be a good parent. But if my parents are around, I'm either going to have to stand up to them, which causes or I end up being humiliated in front of my own kids and my parenting suffers and my family structure suffers and my joy is undermined. That's sort of my first thought. I've been sort of thinking about this since I got your email, but that's like, why do I not see my mother? Because I either self-erase around my mother or I tell her the truth and she screams and throws things. And I'm not even kidding about that, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't want my daughter to see either of those things, right? I don't want my daughter to see some crazy old woman screaming and throwing things, right? And I don't yeah. want to see, I don't want my daughter to see her father appease a crazy person. Neither mm -hmm. of those things are good. And those are the only two options that are available. Explosion, erasure. The two E's. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and wow, yeah. so I don't want my, like, I, I just won't have it, right? I won't, ha I, I can't, like, it'd be nice if I, I can't, like, it's, it's not even a choice, because it's just like a moral thing, you know, it's like, I don't kick cats, and I don't expose my daughter or myself to those kinds of impossible situations, right? Right. So, I think that's why you have ambivalence, I think you do want kids, I think you do want kids, but deep down, you're getting or you've gotten, probably have for years, you get how this is going to put you in a direct collision course 
with South Erasure and your parents' behavior in the past and in the present. All right, that's sorry for the long speech, but you're an experienced listener, so I don't have to uh, do a paint by numbers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I think that that definitely makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I can even see that in, well, both in conversations that I've had with my husband or even just internally that I have already said I will need to set boundaries if kids are in our future you around can set these boundaries. things. How, can you, how are you going to set boundaries with your parents? Um, well, for example, not this past Christmas, but the one before, um, my husband's sister and I sat down and had a direct conversation with my dad about this um, shortly after Sorry, his... Sorry, about what? About, uh, well, both his alcoholism and his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this was shortly after his... I guess, most recent hospital uh, situation. Um, Was this like an intervention? uh, You could say that, yes. Um, No, no, don't, don't, don't let me say (laughs) things. It's your life. Yeah, right. Sorry. Um, I think in the sense that when I had called my dad over to talk, he asked if it would be, and I told him, that we just wanted to have a conversation. I didn't. Oh, so you self no, erased not, even I, in the intervention. Yeah. <laughs> I did, yeah. So, Woo. so it, it, yeah. So it was. I think I just didn't call it that in my mind. Um, well, yeah, hang on, so, hang on, hang on. Do you mean that you thought it was some? It doesn't have to be a formal. I don't know whatever you'd call it, like intervention with a capital I. Right. But are you right. saying that it was an intervention, but you didn't want to tell your dad because he wouldn't come? Uh, yeah, I think that's true. You think that's true? <laughs> um, yes, I will say yes. <laughs> you will say yes. <laughs> oh, oh no. my gosh, I've had easier times arm wrestling <laughs> fog monsters. <laughs> no, listen, I understand. This is this is the um, don't want to say anything definitive defense of people who've been raised without a strong parental bond. Right? I mean, I, I I sympathize. I'm not. I'm sort of making jokes and, and so on. Like I really, I get the scar tissue that is involved in this, which is you have a very tough time just stating what is, right? Because that causes massive conflict. So you've got to hedge and you've got to avoid and you've got to minimize and all the other tricks of surviving a crazy environment when you're young, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm awful at just making definitive decisions. And uh, I know I use a lot of non-committal language when it comes to myself and my life. So. Yeah, there's only, uh, there's only one absolute and constant in the house of addicts and that's the addiction nothing else can be constant Mm -hmm. Uh, that that's the one dominant demand that's the one absolute that is necessary nothing else can have any constancy relative to that absolute of addiction so i mean again i i sympathize i i understand but i'm also going to call you out on it yeah, no, that's fine. You know, need, because because that's treating me like I'm dangerous when I'm, uh, you know, a big giant teddy bear. So, um, <laughs> right. right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so we you, had an what did you just think? What did you just think? <laughs> um, oh, I'm sorry. What was that? What did you just think? You just left. Oh, I was thinking about that I'm going to go through with saying we had an intervention. <laughs> so I thought it was funny that I was going to say that, but... Um, Oh, so you you were saying you were going to say we had an intervention, but then you kind of wanted to fog it a bit, right, or a lot? 
Probably, yeah. I I know. I probably I laugh, <laughs> I laugh a lot to try and right. Uh, I don't know. It's like a tick I have of laughing when I'm talking about uncomfortable stuff. <laughs> oh no, no. This is uh, you've you've listened to this show. This is very. It's common. It's common. So I yeah. I don't. You know, I'm. I used to nag people more about it, but I, like I just released a woman a call, a call with a woman. Uh, who was thinking of baby or PhD, I didn't even realize how many times she used the word like until... Yeah, I, I watched that one today. Yeah, and, until <laughs> until people pointed it out, like, wow. Yeah. I mean, I have my own verbal tics, which I have to keep a, a hold on, but uh, so yeah, the laughter and, and that, that's, I get it. I mean, so I, I don't nag people as much for it because it doesn't usually seem to do much good, but uh, all right. Mm. So why is your sister still there? Um, living with my mom. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I try to talk with her about it sometimes. Uh, hmm. She is, I don't know, kind of has just random jobs <laughs> that she'll keep and I think uh, doesn't have the confidence for herself to kind of make it in the world on her own but I think okay so this is a long way of telling me that she's there because your mother wants her there and is crippling her yeah. right yeah okay yeah so no, she, right. you know, she's Sorry. been hobbled psychologically by your mom because mm -hmm. your mom wants her around right yeah okay that's very true yeah this is something so why yeah. do you allow this to continue are you the older sister I am right <laughs> Why isn't she moving in with you and your husband and you help build her up to get her on her feet? That's a good question. I guess I just, I haven't thought about doing that. Would that um, be difficult? Does she have bad habits that would make her a tough roommate? Um, not as much anymore. I think she's matured the last couple of years more so than before, but in the past, definitely. Because um, she also used to smoke weed a lot and cigarettes and is just like a very messy person um <laughs> so you mean messy just in terms of environment not just the addictions yeah. okay yeah the environment yeah yeah it's like a what a guy i once knew said about his wife when she was home with the kids uh, during the day even if they were gone at school she's like he's like i know exactly what my wife did i just follow the trail of stuff around that's not been put away i know exactly exactly what she did with her day so those kinds of people can be kind of tricky is it um i mean i don't know all of the family politics of course rachel but i'm just popping mm -hmm. into my head saying you know is there any way you could airlift her out of that environment because it's pretty toxic right and and you yeah. got to get her out before your mom gets sick because once your mom gets sick right you know you know what hooks of guilt are going to go into the jugular of your sibling well yeah that's already been the case um with her, yeah. Um, my mom has had issues with various illnesses and uh, like surgeries and stuff over the past 10 years, I would say. And yeah, so she definitely, um, I think there's kind of that relationship between my mom and my sister. This is something my husband and I talk about often in that my sister can kind of live there for free and do whatever as long that's as she terrible takes, for her. as long as she yeah it, yeah it is. you know that right i mean you said that she just has random jobs well of course she just has random jobs because she doesn't have any rent yeah you know i mean people yeah. win the lottery so to speak they, they don't generally get up and crack the bagels at tim hortons at four o'clock in the morning because you know they right. already have their income right so mm -hmm. right okay now does it serve you to have your sister staying with your mom
In other words, does it release you from some sense of guilt or obligation saying, well, she's got my sister there, so she's not alone? Or is there is, is your sister some kind of sacrificial lamb, not just for your mother's needs, but for yours as well? Um, I, I'd have to think about that. I don't perceive it that way. Um, yeah, because I have, I've been able to grow in myself a bit the, like the last several years of being removed from that environment that I do set more firm boundaries with myself around my parents. Um, and so I think that if my sister was removed from that environment and my mom tried to lay the guilt on, I would not accept that. Um, so, But it would I, be tougher for you, wouldn't it? I mean... It, yeah, it would be hard. If your yeah. sister wasn't there, your mother, wouldn't she lean on you more or try? She would try, yes. And that would be mm -hmm. tough, right? Yeah, it would be. Yeah, so I wonder, I don't know, I haven't thought about that. Maybe there is some, in the depths of my brain, this like, well, if my sister still lives there, then I don't have to deal with it. Right. Um, I'm, 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 a, yeah. I'm a younger sibling biased person. Hmm. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I may be overstepping here. I'm just wanted to let you know, I'm aware of that. Like the, the, uh, the younger siblings being stuffed into the narcissistic void of parental needs so that everyone mm -hmm. else can get away and avoid the bomb blast of megalomania is not something entirely yeah. unfamiliar to me. So uh, yeah. I, uh, I understand. All right. Yeah, no, I think that is good to bring up for me to just, uh, I don't know, at least have that perspective in mind because this is something too, I, I've even recently talked with my sister about of um, understanding that I removed myself when, because we're, we have a five year gap between us. So she was quite a bit younger because I left when I was 18, I believe. Mm. Um, and so just kind of talking about how I've actually apologized to her in the past for just leaving her in that and just thinking about my own needs of just Oh, because she was like away. 13 back so, then, right? Yeah. So she was around, well, and she's still living there, obviously, but was around for a lot more than I was as well. So, Well, no, because you were there five years before she was, right? So you both, mm -hmm. both basically ended up uh, with the similar amounts of time if she'd left when she was 18, right? True, yeah. But um, with... For example, when my parents split up and then my mom had a new boyfriend move in and all of those kind of things, I wasn't around for quite as much of that. Um, oh, I, think I, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there was some of that involved. Well, but on the other hand, I, sorry to interrupt, but on the other hand, she had you, which you didn't have a sibling for the first five years, right? So you were facing the parents yeah. alone for the first five years and then she was facing the parents alone for the last five years. I'll take the last five years over the first five years because mm. the first five years are a hell of a lot more formative, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. right. yeah. So <laughs> that's just something to mull over. I mean, here's, here's the thing, right? So my belief, I, I think there's some validity to it. Obviously, I wouldn't have it as a belief, but my belief is sort of like this. This is why I asked you earlier, Rachel, if you knew when your mother had started drinking because when mm. there's trauma which usually drives addiction uh, i'm sure you've read or have heard of gabra mate's book in the realm of hungry ghosts very important to read but there's trauma and you have a choice when you're traumatized right and when you've gone through abuse and so on you either deal with it or you become addicted to something and the addiction mm -hmm. is in order to avoid dealing with it but what happens so you avoid dealing with it and you can drink the pain away, you know, Californication style. But then what happens is 
you get stuck emotionally. You don't progress. Right? Mm-hmm. So if, if you have some traumatic incident when you're 16 and you start drinking, you kind of never grow beyond 16. You just become, you get taller and you get hairier, but you don't grow. And so my concern is that if your mother's stuck at whatever age she had the trauma that she started drinking from, and your sister's in that environment, then this roadblock to progress that occurred for your mom through the addiction is also occurring to your sister through the proximity to the addiction. It was all just piling up at some point in history and not moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that for sure. What does your husband think of your parents? Um, yeah, he has a lot of thoughts about them. Um, I guess like this is something we talk about frequently, so we agree on a lot of things. But yeah, I know my husband doesn't have a lot of respect for my dad. Like if we're around him, he will be respectful towards him, but he doesn't really put up with things if <laughs> if things are going bad at like a certain dinner or whatnot. Um, what does that mean? What is it? So, how, how does it? Sorry. How does it play out that he doesn't? Sorry, I know. By the way, I also um, noticed that you said, I left when I was 18, I believe, as opposed to I left when I was 18. I just wanted to point that out. That kind of almost slipped past me. Uh, So what would your husband do if things were going badly at a family dinner? Um, hmm. Okay, so in the past, he was more lenient, um, for sure. So there was the first few years of our marriage, he would just kind of let everything slide as I would. And then as we've kind of grown together and talked more openly about everything and learned more, he's, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Cause again, with my dad, uh, we haven't really seen him much the last couple of years. So, um, I don't really know what he would do now, but, um, for example, the last Christmas, a few years ago, we were over with my dad, his girlfriend was getting quite belligerent in her drunkenness and, um, yeah, my husband kind of not, I wouldn't say stood up to her, but like kind of just pushed back on her in her verbal abuse of saying like, no, I'm not going to put up with this. And then we left soon after that. So I know that saying? wasn't what my was dad. Say? It was, uh, it was so silly. Like it, she's such a strange person. Um, she'll just get she's the kind of person where everything has to be about her in every conversation she has to insert herself into. So I don't know. I think we were like my husband, dad and sister and I were sitting in his living room, just talking about uh, some hiking story that my dad, he had went on some hiking thing. (laughs) Um, And his girlfriend had to come around the corner and start saying like, well, yeah, I could beat either of you if we went. Do you want to go right now? And just being really aggressive. It was very strange. And she's also a very tiny woman. So it's just weird. But um, yeah, it was getting just so, I feel like this is such a weird story. No, <laughs> but, it's, um, no it's not. It's not at all. So she was okay. basically just demanding some sort of hike off. Yeah. <laughs> it was so strange. And to it was to the extent that at first we all just kind of be like, yeah, yeah, like wave it off, just kind of let her go do her thing. But then she was just getting right up in my husband's face about it. And it's, was she like raising her voice or like really insisting? Yeah. Yeah. She pretty much always raises her voice. She's a very loud person, but yeah, when she's drunk, which is all the time, pretty much she's, yeah, she raises her voice and 
But I mean, yeah, this is very aggressive. So these are such garbage people. Yeah. Like, <laughs> do you ever sit there and just say, like, what the hell am I doing in this yep. dungeon with these dead, dark, weird, garbage people? I do. Yeah, which is kind of what. Well, not kind of, which is what <laughs> led to the intervention with my dad two Christmases ago was um, talking about his drinking and then also talking about his girlfriend and how. But then, no, then the, no consequence. The intervention has to have consequences, doesn't it? Like if you don't stop right. drinking, I'm not going to have anything to do with you or something like that. Yeah. And that's pretty much what happened, which is why um, it was that. uh I forget exactly what I said now, but it was surrounding setting boundaries of, you know, we want this relationship with you, but if you're not going to change these things, then we can't really see that being something that's healthy. And so, um, for example, uh, that if we come over and either of you are drinking or drunk, we will just leave. We won't enable this behavior anymore by just sitting through it like we always have. So, we did do that, and I think that's largely why we haven't been invited over. We haven't really made any plans to see each other because I think my dad's not willing to take that step to remove those things from his life and therefore feels shame around that and doesn't want to put in the effort towards a relationship. So That's, I mean, that's horrible. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine choosing booze over your children. Mm. Like I just, I can't, I can't fathom that. And I'm, I'm so sorry. What a horribly clarifying moment, right? Or well, more than a moment. I mean, it just goes on and on, right? Yeah. Now, did you ever think of having an intervention with your mom? Um, no, I haven't. Um, Why? Or, I don't know if I've thought about it fleetingly or not, but yeah, I haven't to do so I think I think because with my dad it was so much more overt that for example the reason we kind of headed off this interve intervention was um, he lashed out at my sister pretty heavily um, just like verbal abuse and whatnot which is something he has done through our lives and so it was kind of hard to say like he'll he'll get drunk and then lash out more at her not at me um and then they just won't speak for six months and we won't really either because we're upset at the situation and then over time it would just things kind of go back to normal so it was kind of that moment where I said that this can't continue um and so I think just because it's so much more overt I guess tangibly with him that I thought to do that. Whereas with my mom, it's, it's more that she lies about things like she doesn't yell or things like that. So yeah, I guess I just haven't thought about it, but I should. And the lying about things you mean in terms of I'm quitting, but then she sneaks drinks in the closet. Yeah, exactly. And there's just other things through our lives that, um, she has either told me or my sister that we'll look back on that just don't line up or, you know, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head, but. But they're not going to change, right? Yeah. I mean, do, 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 you, do you think that or, or is that something you've really, because it takes a while to net that 
reality into your skin, right? Like, because we all have hope, right? We all, especially if you change and I change and we grow and we learn things and we confront ourselves and, and we become better people, it's so easy to mistake the world for ourselves, right? Say, so, well, I, I, I change, so this gives me hope that other people can change. But yeah. change is extraordinarily rare. It takes mm-hmm. extraordinary commitment. And it takes a withdrawal from whatever other coping mechanisms exist. And so it doesn't sound to me, again, I'm no psychologist, but it doesn't sound to me like there's any change coming from your parents, right? I mean, if, if imminent death is not enough to get them to trough, stop drinking, uh, and, and if the intervention is not enough to get your father to stop drinking, if the fact that his trashy trailer park girlfriend is is causing crap at family dinners if that's not enough if you saying hey man you gotta cool it and or we you know if that's not like there's no change no change is coming right mm-hmm. they're, they're going to be this way until they pour their alcohol soaked carcasses into a six foot deep pit right yeah right yeah you're right so if they're not going to change how are you going to handle having kids and your parents in your life? Because you know, you know that a lot of times parents will start floating around closer. Well, two situations. Number one, grandkids. Number two, they get sick, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, these two things could be occurring at the same time for you, right? Right, yeah. So do you have mm-hmm. any sort of thought about how you could handle having both kids and your soused parents in your life at the same time? Hmm. (laughs) Um, Well, I know that would be extremely difficult first, but... hmm. Well, it it wouldn't, it wouldn't be, right? I mean, it would be difficult in its, in its, it would be difficult in its effects, but it would be very easy in terms of how to manage it. You just invite them over and you self-erase, right? You know how to do that. You've been doing that mm-hmm. for 28 years, right? Right. I mean, I bet you they sell, you, you self-erased if you ever invited them to a tea party when you were five, right? So mm-hmm. you know how to do it. That part would be easy. The consequences would be disastrous, of course, right? But like at some point, your, your parents would say, we'd like you to drop the kids off or can we babysit or something. Again, your mom or your dad, someone like that, right? And that's really complicated because you can't have mm-hmm. irresponsible people around your kids. I mean, I, I knew a guy when I was younger. His mom was just completely irresponsible. He's like, no, she'll learn responsibility by being around her grandkids, right? <laughs> and yeah, she's on the phone with some guy. The front door's open. The family dog races out into the street, gets creamed by a car. And that's terrible enough but it could have been one of the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, it, it's interesting because I, I could see my parents wanting to be more, more so around, like you were pointing out, through illness and things like that rather than having grandkids. But I, the um, two would be hand in hand. If they're not well, true. then they're going yeah. to ingratiate yourself by themselves with you, with, with the kids. It, it may happen. They may be mm-hmm. even more supremely indifferent to the kids than to you. I don't know, right? It's just mm-hmm. a possibility. But either way, 
their resource requirements are going up, right? Right. Right. They they need healthcare. They might need um, uh, chronic care. They they might. Well, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. And so their resource requirements are going up. And if your parents are getting ill, and and this is not like something quick. Like this is if it's the result of like years of lack of exercise and alcoholism and smoking or whatever, right? There's just going to be probably like a long, slow grind of just decay, right? Mm -hmm. And so if your parents are getting sick at the same time as you have babies, then you have like death and life in the house, so to speak, in your mind and in your heart at the same time. And that's one thing if you're close to your parents and you love them and they're great people, you know, I mean, I, I know a guy who, who decided to have kids young because his father got sick and he loved his father so much he wanted his father to be able to meet his grandchildren. So it doesn't mean, like, if your parents get sick, that doesn't mean no kids. That can mean moving kids up in, in the cycle of life, right? But for right. you, you are not protected from your parents. And that's why earlier I made the comment that your husband is a little too nice, in my humble opinion. Because hmm. it's his job. Like, your job is to keep the house, and his job is to keep the perimeter. Right? Your job is to make sure that the house is... A, it's all cliched stuff, and maybe it's different for you guys, hmm. but you're a homemaker, right? So your job is to make the house beautiful, and his job is to create a moat around hmm. the house. Right? So that only approved people get in, Right? So you're doing the house thing. I bet your house is beautiful. (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) But is he doing the patrolling the perimeter, the fiery moat? Yeah. I, it's hard. I know he'll listen to this too, but I think in a lot of ways, no. Like there's a lot of ways, obviously he provides for us and he has a, healthy family situation but yeah when it comes to I think we've kind of had that idea that still that my family is it's up to me what I want to do with them kind of thing so yeah I guess he hasn't really inserted himself into now he's got this modern infection and I apologize because you know (laughs) I I think he's he's a great guy you're you're a great woman and I'm sure you'll be wonderful parents in fact I know that because of the thought and care you're putting into things so this is with with love and with with respect and so on but he's got this be supportive shit going on you know he's got this respect women you know be be supportive I want to be supportive I don't want to I don't want to cause any difficulties I just want to be there for you honey and I just want to support what it's like forget that you got to be a real person there you got to be a real person and you like okay i'll just give you a sorry one sort of sidebar story time thing many many years ago a friend of mine (laughs) was talking about how his girlfriend would drag him over to her parents place right and then she'd just kind of not be there like she kind of there but not there and he'd end up having to make conversations with her parents who he didn't have anything in in common with right (laughs) And I remember him sitting down, he'd like, go over beers, he would tell me this story, and I'd be like, well, why are you going? Mm-hmm. Like, sit down and say to her, listen, I mean, I don't mind going to visit your parents, they're fine people, I guess, but I don't want to go there, and then you just kind of space out and don't say anything, and I'm sitting there trying to make conversation with people I don't even share that much in, in language common with, right? And I said, so but why, why would you go? Like, 
why? And she's like, well, I want to be supportive. And she really wants me to go. And I'm like, then you're not there. <laughs> you know, you're not there in, in, in a sort of foundational way. And that's kind of important. And, and this has kind of been knocked out of men. And, and so I sympathize with, with your husband. I really do. This idea, I mean, you heard this with the, you because you listened to the call that I did with the woman who was like PhD or baby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, she would talk endless difficulties about her PhD program with her boyfriend. And he didn't at some point say, look, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I appreciate this can be tough for you, but we're not doing this anymore. Like you either find some way to deal with this PhD program uh, or you quit. But just continually venting for 10 hours a week to me, I, I don't want this part-time job. I'm not a therapist. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I wouldn't put up with that in, in a relationship. I mean, that's just, that, that's, that's enabling, right? And, right. you know, if, if I ever do talk to your husband, I'm sure he'll tell me about his family and how he had to be supportive and kind of not present. <laughs> and, right, there's a reason you guys were together, right? Yeah. And, and it would have yeah. something to do with absence from uh, parents, right? Uh, uh, sorry, uh, absence from um, presence in the presence of parents. Sorry, that's a terrible way of putting it, but I'm sure mm-hmm. you get the idea. <laughs> Right, so he, he wants to be supportive and he doesn't want to cause you any difficulties, right? So he doesn't want to say, hmm, eh, I don't want these people around our kids. So let's just, you know, whatever we're going to do, let's just rip the Band-Aid off. Like, I, I, no way. I'm not having, like, I don't want them around you when you're a mom. I don't want to be around them. There's nothing positive in it for me. Uh, and I certainly don't want our kids to be exposed to this level of dysfunction and toxicity, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, this is my intervention, <laughs> right? Yeah. Which is, we're, we're not going to do this, right? Now, that, of course, would make you upset, right? I don't think it would. I... Ah, tell me more. <laughs> tell me. Tell me what great um... sex he'd have that night. No, tell me, tell me more. <laughs> no, that's interesting because I think a lot of men feel like this is just going to make women really upset. Like, you're you, you, you asking me to choose between that or whatever, right? But you're saying it wouldn't, right? No. Um, like a relief? I... Yeah, I think yeah. I'd be relieved if he, if if it was him to make that decision rather than me. <laughs> right. Even though I like, I do think if we had kids, in, in the same way, there's been a few, I know, baby step boundaries set the last couple of years. I think I would be able to kind of say, okay, we're having children, and I don't want them around this. Therefore, I won't let them be around it. And I'd be much more firm, I'm sure, than I am with myself. Um, but yeah, definitely. No, I, I think... if you trusted that, you'd have room to explore having kids without being paralyzed. Hmm. Yeah, I guess. Right. I mean, if, if you were certain, because you can't set boundaries with dysfunctional people. This idea, well, I'm going to set boundaries. I don't believe it for a second. I mean, I, I believe in the intention. Don't get me wrong. Right. Hmm. But uh, yeah. you didn't you didn't stand by the boundaries with your dad. You're still in contact with him. Right. Yeah. There's still a door yeah. is open a crack and he, you know, if, if he gets sick, he's like, that's why he's keeping it, right? If he cared about you, he'd, he'd really get sober, right? So if he really cared about you, he'd drop this garbage girlfriend. And, and so he didn't care about you, but he needs to keep that door ajar for when he gets sick or if his girlfriend leaves him or whatever, right? Hmm. You know that's what it's yeah. for, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keeping I that line really in the water. It. Right? Keep that line in the water. Just keep your options open, right? Yeah. So... That boundary thing didn't work because he didn't fulfill what you wanted, which was to 
at least give up the booze. And the reason he didn't give up the booze was because then he would have to give up the girlfriend. And if he gave up the booze and the girlfriend, uh, he'd face the horror of his own existence. Like you can, you can quit yeah. an addiction when you can make amends, I think. But once you've done so much terrible stuff that you can't make amends, I, to me, it's like I, I don't even, I don't think, think it's practically possible to, to give up the addiction unless you mm-hmm. give it up and replace it with something else, right? So, yeah. So you had the intervention. And again, I'm no expert. I've seen a couple of shows, right? So I don't know. But my understanding is like, you, you got to stop drinking or, you know, we had nothing to do with you. And he didn't stop drinking. You still have him orbiting, floating, you said twice in the past couple of years and text a couple of times a week sometimes and so on. So he's still there and there. So you can't, you can't set boundaries. And in particular, my guess is that when he gets sick, the girlfriend's going to leave and he's going to try and hang on to you or your sister or both, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm unsure, but potentially, yeah, that could be the case. And if you do kind of keep that option open for him, it's not helping him, right? Right. So as far as boundary goes, you, I mean, you sit down, you have your intervention and, you know, if people respond positively and they get clean and they sort themselves out and they go to therapy and all that, fantastic. I think that's one in a thousand, but great. Mm-hmm. But with this stuff, how are you going to have boundaries with alcoholics? You can't. Mm-hmm. Because the only thing that exists for them is their addiction, not you really. Because that's what they choose. They choose the addiction, which is real over you, who is not for them, I think. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to have boundaries? And how are you going to have boundaries? Like, it's tough to make boundaries now. How are you going to have boundaries when your boobs are aching, your nipples are half-chewed, you've had three hours sleep in the past three days? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. And I don't want to sound like parenting is wonderful, but, you know, it's, it, it's a tall, you know, early, depending if you've got a smart kid, too, who doesn't sleep. Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, it's quite exciting. So... If if you if you can't do boundaries now, when you're a homemaker who doesn't have kids and you can't get those boundaries up and running, how are you going to do it when you have babies? You're not going to have more energy. You may have more motive. Obviously, you will, right? But and also you will be because that's why I asked you also about your early memories because a lot of people who are raised. In, in a neglectful way, or who are neglected, it's a better way to put it, who are neglected when they're raised, don't have a lot of early memories. I, 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 I talked to a whole number of people, Rachel, who were raised, if, if they were traumatized, like they were attacked or, or beaten, and then they vivid memories, right? But if they were neglected, there's this kind of weird fog that doesn't lift until late in the latency period, like 8, 9, 10, maybe even 11 years old, and then memories start to vaguely form and so on. But all that early stuff was very real, and you're going to feel a very strong bond with your son, your daughter, the baby. And that's going to break your heart at the same time, because you're going to recognize, really viscerally recognize exactly what wasn't there when you were a baby, right? So you're going to be dealing with a lot. Now, that's a beautiful thing to to be dealing with. Like, yay, I'm a way better parent than my parents. That's a wonderful thing to be dealing with. But it's going to be tough. And so you got new baby, adjustment, lack of sleep, uh, you know, bonding, uh, and uh, hormones are all over the place. And you're going through an ache as well as a 
beautiful tenderness with your child, and then your parents are gonna, what, what are they like? They're exploiters, right? So what do they do? They sense a weakness. Wow, we can go in now and get what we want. She's down for the count, right? It's a possibility, I mean, it's a certainty, I don't know. It's not free, I mean, it's just still free will to some degree, but maybe this is part of this whole Gordian knot, this whole set of complications. Maybe that's what you're avoiding. Yeah. Nah. No, that's nah, that sounds never... supremely emotionally disconnected. Mm, yeah. No. Yeah. I no. Think I, that... I actually, I think I would like waffles instead of eggs. That would be. <laughs> yeah, I think that that would be. So I think I'm just processing that because I've never thought about it in this way before. So of I'm... course you have. Of course you have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't be ambivalent, right? Hmm. It's just you know the unconscious being clocked at thousands of times faster than the conscious mind. The unconscious sees, we all think the unconscious is about the past. The unconscious is not about the past. The unconscious is about the future. Your unconscious is not sitting there looking back for when you were five. You're sitting there looking, okay, I got one baby on one boob. I got another baby on another boob. What's my life going to be like if my parents are around? Can I handle them and being a new mom at the same time? Let's postpone. Maybe they'll die. Or maybe they'll be hospitalized, or maybe they'll in, be incapacitated, or whatever, right? Something that's going to open up the womb for you. Mm. Now, you shouldn't be doing this. This is not your job. It's your husband's job to make the perimeter. Mm. And so... We need, this is the great thing about marriage and partnership, is we need the outside eyes on our situation and we need the strength of the other person. You may need to help your husband with his parents, but it's his job to help you with your parents if there's dysfunction involved, right? Because you can't. Right. Because your whole experience, your whole quarter century plus is around compliance and self-erasure, so how the hell are you supposed to deal with it? You can't because your whole thing has been to avoid, which makes perfect sense and was a perfectly rational and healthy thing to do in the time, right? But you, you can't. You've got no corporeality in, in this situation, in my opinion. And, and you couldn't, and, and I, I don't either, right? With, with my mom, with my dad, I, I don't. Yeah. So you, you can help others with their families, but they gotta really help you with yours. Right? It's, I think you kinda know this deep down, that's why you wanted to call. Right? Yeah. Now imagine, sort of the big, the big question, right? So imagine that the parental issue with regards to becoming a mother was simply not there. You know, I hate to say this, like, God forbid, they get hit by a bus tomorrow, or something like aneurysm, or they just to say, you know what, we're moving to Fiji. <laughs> We've always wanted to live in Fiji, because I hear they've got drinks and coconuts there. But for whatever reason, it's, it's, it's not something that's a factor in becoming a mother for you. If you think about that as a very real thing, does that change anything for you? That you could enjoy being a mother without having to set boundaries with dysfunctional parents? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's difficult for me to even try and imagine that. <laughs> for, so you're miss theoretical. Yeah, I, I'm giving you a theoretical. This should be your GPU and, processing <laughs> blowout right here. Yeah, um, I would like to say yes, but I think I also have fears surrounding what my own issues, um, like how that may affect my children as well through all of this and. But that's a yeah, single being... mom statement, though. Sorry? That's a single mom statement, though. Hmm. Because if you trusted your husband to intervene strongly, decisively, determinately, if there was something spilling over from you that was dysfunctional with regards to your parenting, if you truly trusted him to do that, then you wouldn't have a, much of a concern in the world about that. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. But he hasn't done that so far with your parents. Yeah. And so you're concerned. So this is this is just to him. You know, I, I hope he listens to it. I'm happy to chat with him too. But it's like, this is the job of the male lion, right? He got the perimeter. Yeah. And if you trusted him to be your, the eyes behind your head, so to speak, if you trusted, if you trusted him to really evaluate and, and you trusted him to intervene strongly doesn't mean aggressively, of course. It doesn't mean abusively. It doesn't mean, it just means like, no, 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 listen, like you were doing this thing, mm, you know, that's not, that's not ideal. You know, here's what I'm going to suggest. Let me show you or whatever it is. And you do the same for him, right? Because we both, we all need that kind of feedback. But it's like you're pedaling uphill this bicycle meant for two and you don't trust him. He's putting any muscle into it, so to speak, right? Because he's being supportive and being supportive is kind of being absent because being supportive is it's just a way of saying agree with me or else. I'm not saying this is you, right? But this idea that men have, we got to be supportive. You got to be supportive. It's like, no, you don't. You've got to be honest. <laughs> you got to be honest. Look at the supportive thing. I don't know what that even means. Supportive <laughs> just usually means agree or else. So if he sees you doing something that, that he thinks is, is not optimal or is, you know, he, you, and you trust him to, you know, then you can relax and enjoy it, right? Right. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's very interesting. <laughs> and, yeah, all these thoughts of kind of like his growing up is coming to mind for me and why, like, you said he's such a nice guy. <laughs> um, yeah, nice yeah, guys are people who've, uh, kids, male kids often who've had their assertiveness bullied out of them by very selfish people um, and they say niceness and they say support because assertiveness is uh, unnerving right but if you had that sense of security coming from a strong man who would watch your back then you could really relax into motherhood knowing that your environment was safe I mean we know this from kids kids play much better in a fenced-in area than they do in an open area they're happier they're, they're they get along better they're just Generally, it's, we need those limits. We need that sense that somebody's watching our back. And if somebody just says, well, I just want to be supportive, it's kind of like they're not there and things can go haywire pretty quickly. Right. Hmm. 
and you you want that i think i think i think you want to feel that's why you said earlier it wouldn't bother me in fact you seem yeah. like quite positive about the idea right that he would yeah. just say no no I, listen I, i'm making this decision you can make decisions for me and other i'm making this decision sorry like you're too close to it you can't see it i got to guard the cave for the future offspring right yeah for sure, yeah. Like when, when I think about the concept of he of him doing that with my family, I don't really feel any trepidation. Like it just sounds like it would be a relief to me. Well, I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm kind of doing this, right? I mean, I'm yeah. certainly being frank and honest and and saying, you know, I like the Maya Angelou thing about just just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. That's sort of what I've been all about, and it's not. You're not blowing up at me. You're not, you know, calling me some <laughs> nasty name. I don't. E- I don't even get the sense that you're doing that inside your head, uh, uh, rather than in the conversation. So, you know, we can handle a lot more truth than we think we can, as long as it comes out of a place of love and respect. We can do. We can handle a huge amount of truth. But this tiptoeing around stuff, and I just want to be supportive. And you know, if he wants kids, and you guys have been married for seven years. And the deal was you were going to have kids, then, you know, I would really question, like, where the hell has his gonads been for the last half decade? You know, this is be something is like, oh, my wife doesn't want to have kids. She did want to have kids. She's ambivalent about it. I mean, just sort of this step back and I'm sure it'll work out. That's not being a partner. That's not being present in the way that I would measure it. You've got to wade in, roll up the sleeves, wade in and, and sort this shit out, right? Yeah. And it's fine. You know, men have been so browbeaten into not being leaders in in the family. And again, women can be leaders in, in some areas, but there are some areas where men are better at being leaders. And it's like this, you know, like this is how it's going to be. Uh, these are the standards. And no, no, like I got married to you because you wanted to have kids. Marriage is about kids, uh, fundamentally. And so, you know, I love you. I want to stay with you for the rest of my life. But you can't change the deal at this level. You know, you, you can't change the deal because the, the commitment was we're going to have kids. Now, if we need to take six months, we need to take a year, we need to work it out, we need to figure out what the barrier is, that's fine. But you don't get to rewrite it at this level because that's the deal, right? right. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't go buy a car, work out a price, then just throw a stick of gum at the guy and saying, I'm renegotiating as you scream off out of the parking lot, right? I mean, that's too much of a renegotiation, right? right. You can tweak, but yeah. you can't rewrite when it comes to the the values that were the foundation of getting married, right? Mm-hmm. So he needs to be a little bit less supportive and a little bit more honest. And I think that will take a lot of the processing off you, and then you can relax uh, into whatever's coming down the pipe. Oh, that's an interesting way to put it. But anyway, you, you, you understand <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Because, yeah, even I think I've been getting more and more, I don't want to use the word forceful, because I'm not really a forceful person, but um, just trying to get him to be honest with where he's at when it comes to kids and mm-hmm. almost trying to get him to overtly tell me he wants them and we need to have them. But even if I say like, but you really want them, right? Like, why are you okay with this? He just, he waffles. And I think he just wants to be supportive, quote, so oh, bad no, that he doesn't want to rock the boat because he knows how 
much I struggle with this. So no, but that, that's you struggling with it because he's so absent in this area, right? Hmm. Right. I mean, if he was yeah. like, no, like we're having kids, that was the deal. Like unless your <laughs> your womb has exploded out of your armpit sideways, or you've become allergic to newborns. We're having kids now, you know, and like that's what I want. I'm gonna force you to obviously anything like that and knock you up without your permission. But mm -hmm. no, I really, really, really want to have kids. That was the deal. That's what we got married for, or that's one of the foundational reasons. Love you to death, but you know we're having kids, and whatever we need to do to to get you into that, I was gonna say position, but to get you to that place <laughs> where we have kids. We, we, you know, we're going to do it. Now, you could, of course, say, I've completely changed my mind. I don't want to have kids at all. And then, like, I'm really sorry. That was the deal. And we got married. So none of this says that he can command you to have children. Of course, right? Mm -hmm. But wouldn't it be a huge relief to know exactly where he stood on this issue so that you had some sense of what to build towards? Yeah, it would. It's like, it's like if you've got two sides of a canyon and you're trying to build a bridge, you both build the bridge, you've got to meet in the middle. I mean, you, it's, in, it's an insane amount of work to try and build from one end to the, all the way to the other, right? Mm -hmm. you got, you got to meet, you've got to both be bringing your preferences and your needs to the conversation. If one person is not, then what happens is you keep building your bridge further and further out and it starts to get really unstable because it's way too much pressure on the base. This is a big engineering analogy, so I'm sorry if it doesn't make any sense <laughs> to people, but it does. Like if you meet in the middle, you don't have to build that strong a base because then you rest in the middle and that's what holds your bridge up, right? But if you just keep having to build and build because the other person is not building their side of the bridge, it starts to get really scary and, and you got to overbuild and, and it gets really complicated and frustrating. <laughs> so yeah, just, yeah. you know, you, you want to know where he stands because you can't make this decision solo. And you also want to know where he stands so you can trust that he's going to give you the objective feedback that's going to keep you on the straight and narrow of good parenting, which we all need. Yeah. Women respond generally quite positively to men being lovingly unsupportive. <laughs> it's just one of these contradictions, you know, that's kind of, kind of strange. But this, yeah, I, I, this supportive thing, which I'm not saying is coming from you, it's just always struck me as, a nice way of the narcissist saying agree with me or else. And again, I'm not putting you in that category at all, but um, I would look at your husband's upbringing to see where that may have come from. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, <laughs> even when it comes to the most basic things, like what do you want to do this evening? He very much wants to make me happy and just... Oh, God kind of suggest things he thinks that I would want. And sometimes I'll really say, no, what do you want to do? And he has a hard time just saying what he wants to do a lot of the time. And I don't know if, I'm sure there is stuff from early on in our marriage when I was more immature that I could have um, not helped that. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of exhausting. Uh, and it's frustrating because you want his desire I'm not just talking sexually, of course, right? But you want his desires to be fully present. Because mm -hmm. if he doesn't seem to want anything, how, does it, how do you know he really wants you? I mean, this is really can be very frustrating, right? Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah, well, he'll, he'll listen to this and he'll call me an asshole, <laughs> which will be great. And uh, then he'll be less supportive, <laughs> which will be great for you. <laughs> no, he's, he's pretty open to, to growth. Oh, it's all there for him. It's all there for him, like that, mm -hmm. right? All there yeah. for him. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, yeah. Um, neither person should be in charge of the marriage, but everybody needs to be there negotiating for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's most of what it is that I wanted to say. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention? No, I don't think so. Yeah, this was very helpful. You brought a lot of perspective to things for me and just things that I haven't thought about even remotely consciously at least. So, yeah, I feel I have a lot to process. And Are you good with yeah. math? With math? Yeah. Um, no. No? All right. So what do we got here? It's the uh, 23rd of April, 2019. So uh, May, June, July, August, September, October, I I November, December. Mm. So I don't mind if it's not by Christmas, but uh, shortly thereafter, uh, if I could get, you know, this is one of the things that makes this show so rewarding and enriching to do is all the baby pictures I get piling into my inbox. Uh, so um, assuming that, that, you know, we've hit some useful stuff here and, and you can work things out. Um, yeah, you've got so January. I don't mind if you send a picture of the bump ahead of time. I'm perfectly thrilled. <laughs> but uh, that that is your mission should you choose to accept it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank, yeah, thanks very much for your time. <laughs> That's a good evasion. All right. Well, keep me posted. Uh, and um, if there's anything I can do to help, you want me to chat with your husband or anything, I'm, I'm very happy to do so. So um, I really appreciate the conversation. You did a great job, in my opinion, and uh, I'm glad it was helpful. And uh, okay. thank yeah. you so much, as always. Yeah. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. <laughs> okay. Goodbye.